0: Would you wonder whether, whether your will whether would you well? Will be well, or would wonder whether-
1: lady friend, Anna, on the birth of their baby boy. Hooray! May he be blessed
2: and protected by all the archangels from now until forevermore. Sweet. Very nice, fell.
1: Whew! Yeah, I didn't want to go too deep into the whole, um... Mushroom stuff. Hallucinogenic thing, because that would have probably gone too far. And I realized with my research, I was like, oh man, that's going to be, that needs to be its own little section.
2: Yeah, you're going to do your Mm -hmm. own episode.
1: Mm, I might just um, add it onto this one, and then I want to do a part two where I interview Mark about mushrooms, if he'll let me. Nice. I just got a call from
2: Mark while we were talking.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. I want to tell my ayahuasca experience and interview Mark about mushrooms. Maybe interview my friend Steve. Nice. So maybe I'll end up including the whole mushroom barley beer thing uh, with that, or I might add it onto this. And anyway, that's going to be a part two. It's going to be all
2: about that nice. shit. Yeah. Hey, so you want to hear Mark's message? Yeah. It relates to the episode. Okay. Wait, can't hear that. Can't hear
1: nothing. Nothing. I can't hear nothing. Mark,
0: call me back.
2: That was it? That was it.
1: That son of a bitch, I know. He's totally blowing me off, man. Yeah? Did you call him? No, I've been trying to get him I think he's traveling right now. He's in Canada or something. Well, he's back now. Okay. And I texted him today and he didn't get back to me. I feel like he doesn't want to do it. Nah, I'm sure he does.
2: You think so? Yeah. Why wouldn't he want to do it? it? I don't know, but he's really being hard to get. I mean, do you want me to... I mean, he's hard to talk to anyway, so... He is? Yeah. You think so? I don't know. Hmm. Maybe not. Usually he's doing mm. shit. He is busy. Um. Right, oh, I better stop this.
0: What's the good word, stranger?
1: All right, we're both there. Yeah, try playing that again. Let's see right.
2: what happens.
0: All right, busy. Sooner or later you dance with the Reaper. <laughs> Get down with your bed, son. I love show business.
1: <laughs> nice. Did he, did, did, did he call him like the Dan of Chan? Do you know what he says?
2: Um, oh, let me hold on. Let me.
0: The Duke of Spook. the Dark of Shock, the man with no Chan, please say hello to
1: Justin. The man with no Chan? I think that's what he says. I don't know what that means. Me neither. <laughs> the man with no chin. Maybe he forgot this at the end of it. But then it would be the manse with no chance. Right. Oh, Bye. Yeah. Bye. I see. Bye.
2: So you
0: Bye.
1: Another. Slamming beginning. Yeah. How
2: you doing, <laughs> uh, Phil? What made you play that? I try. You said something about the Reaper, and I tried to quote that, but I totally got it wrong. Oh, but you had. To, it like it was almost like you had that on a soundboard or something. No, I just looked
1: it up on YouTube. It's happened so quickly. Maybe to me it seemed quick, but to you it
2: was like an eternity. I mean, yeah, maybe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Meow. Hmm.
1: Meow. Could be. If you were, uh, would I be the hot dog and you be the hamburger, or would you be the hamburger and I be the hot dog? I, I mean, just would like, I be the, would you be the hot dog and I
2: be the hamburger?
0: We gonna have <laughs> if we were standing wait, on I, a desert island.
2: Wait, uh, a <laughs> uh, you'd probably be, be the hot dog and I'd be the hamburger. I'd be hamburger. the hot dog and you'd be the hamburger, even though you're, you're probably taller than me. I'm like an inch taller, probably. Right. All right.
0: Back!
2: Good job. Good job. The reaper. Where's where he supposed to be from? Oh, that's right. He's supposed to be Scandinavian. Well, no, he's from uh, what's this fuck? He's from the seventh s- sign or whatever. The seventh seal. The seventh seal. Right? Yeah. We're so
1: dumb. What is that filmmaker's name? Uh,
2: I shouldn't have called you dumb. I'm dumb. Oh, we're both dumb. Oh, okay. I want to say Ingrid Bergman, but that that's a person. Ingmar Bergman. Ingmar Bergman.
1: Bergman. That's why he talks That's why he talks like that. Yeah.
2: Although, I, that doesn't really seem like a Swedish accent or something. Well, that's probably how the guy talks in this movie. Huh? Does death talk in no? the movie? I don't know. Is it... Is it subtitled? Is it, uh, silent? Is it's is a it silent movie, I think. Right? Silent but deadly. Get it?
0: Yeah.
1: What's that squeaking noise? Are you playing with a dog toy?
2: No, it's probably birds. Let me close the door.
1: (laughs) So many noises.
2: Wow, you're doing some great Foley work. Thank you. Dave Foley work. Dave Foley. Dave Foley. Alright, should I take
1: down those bells? No, I love the bells. Okay. You should rock them. It's beautiful. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings, Clarence. His wing? His wings. Wings. His chicken wings. His uh, dove wings. His uh, uh, turkey wing wing. His, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, sparrow wing. Sparrow wing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, that's my Swedish accent. Very nice. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm chilling. Hanging in
2: there. We're back in the podcast bunker.
1: Back in the bunks. Back to bunks. Back to bunksics.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry.
1: No, it's fine. A no response is a, is a response, actually. Sure lack of response is it It speaks volumes to when something is actually not funny maybe
2: maybe maybe true maybe it's true
1: what's happening to you right now yeah
2: well, you want an update um,
1: I I I I, I alright well let me uh, let me count it in
2: a podcaster. okay
1: a podcast what you want the podcast update let me count it in and then We'll rock that shit, we'll talk that shit, skibbity bop bop We'll make it the podcast, okay? Is there anything you want to say before I start?
2: No. Wait a minute, how are your bats, by the way? Uh, supposedly, the, I don't know. We rescued five. Yeah. And we found a dead one, and uh, we haven't seen any more since then, so. Oh. Uh, Hopefully they're still alive. Okay. You did your job, and now it's up to the Lord. Oh, uh, the, the lady who takes care of the bats, probably.
1: In a way, you're sort of the homeless king, as we'll see when I explain. Ah. The homeless king. You're kind of a homeless king. Thank oh, you. and did you get the script that I sent you? I did get the script. All, all right, because uh, I want you to play the homeless king in the oh, script. Sweet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right. So <laughs> then, or <laughs> e u a r. I will count us in and all right, hold on. I don't count us in yet. Let me download. Okay. I thought I downloaded
2: the script, but it turns out I didn't. Oh. Well, you die. Hold on, let me close all the windows. Can you hear that? No I was playing. Yeah, it sounds like someone's bombing you. All right, I'll be back. Okay.
1: <laughs> Amazing Foley. And Andy or Sound effects galore make it happen for you. If only he had a little pair of shoes that make it sound like he's walking after he's done walking. I'm back. That's amazing. Your foley work is exceptional. Thank you. And did you see the other picture that I sent you along with that? Hold
2: on. Let me find that. Oh. Yeah. Under the Silver Lady of the Lake.
1: Yeah, we're gonna ha- we'll have a talk.
0: Okay.
1: Okay, alright, but enough comedy jokes, here we go! 3, 17, 49!
3: You're listening to The Post! Relevant podcast!
2: A podcast for the end of the end of time! With your
0: host, Phil Ristino!
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome back! Welcome back Your dreams were your ticket out Welcome back To the same old place That we're left <laughs> <laughing> about And we
0: found
1: Anyway, that was an old show The back please, to back But welcome back Welcome back to the Post Relevant Podcast This is the podcast for the end of the end of time I'm your host, Phil Restaino So glad that you guys came back for another wacky episode of Decodes of Wacky Decodes. We've got more wacky decodes for you. This episode is entitled The King's Chamber because we're only decoding the scene where Sam and the Homeless King have their confrontation inside the Homeless King's Bear Cave As I later reveal in this episode, uh, that scene was filmed at the abandoned L.A. Zoo, the Old Zoo, in Griffith Park, in a bear cave, literally. And supposedly in Native American lore, the great bear is the symbol for God, which I think holds special significance with this uh, scene because the homeless king is sort of a god, more than anybody I would say in this movie. He feels more like a spirit than a person. Anyway, we decode that entire scene, that whole what? It's probably like a two minute scene in the episode and uh, talk all about why it is, why it is, why we all are and what is existence in general. No, we don't talk about that, but we go in deep. Brother Andy's back on the show, and like I said at the beginning, very special congratulations to Andy and Anna on the birth of their boy. So another Ristino-ish in the world. I'm five times an uncle. So congrats, you guys. Way to go. We on the Post Relevant Podcast are dangerously close to finishing the decode. This is the second to last episode of decoding the movie Under the Silver Lake. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who has listened up to this point and who's enjoyed the show and appreciated it. Thank you. I appreciate you listening. When I'm done with this series, I've got a whole new plan. I, I probably got a few Under the Silver Lake related sort of episodes and a post relevant movement origins podcast that i'm going to put out and then i have a whole new series planned that's going to be in an entirely different direction and i think you guys are going to uh hopefully you'll enjoy it <laughs> um but it will be funny and bizarre and still dealing with a lot of the metaphysical and conspiracy and ufo kind of related subject matter that uh, I'm interested in, and that was the reason that I decided to dissect Under the Silver Lake in the first place, because it felt like a movie that was pointing to all of the mysterious directions that I've been interested in over the past 30 years. So uh, we'll be moving more in those directions and in even weirder directions in the future on the Post Relevant Podcast, and I hope you'll come with me because I think it's going to be really cool and funny. And there'll be improv. I'll be hopefully getting some wonderful improv actors to work with me and um,
3: we'll blow your
0: minds
1: (laughs) anyway. So that's coming up after we're done, but let's finish. Let's land the dismount on this Galdon podcast, pardcast, the pardcast for partners. So uh, Brother Andy's back on the show. We decode the scene in the cave with the homeless king where he reveals why he's carrying dog biscuits. We talk about it. But before we get into that, I have a wonderful improv actor and filmmaker and editor and bon vivant, as he says, back on the show, our good friend Max Flackman, a.k.a. Matt Kalman who you will know from episode 13 of the Post Relevant Podcast, where I went over to his house and we got drunk, and we talked about the doors and Dionysus, and we dog paddled in the deep end of the Silver Lake. Well, Max Flackman is back. I watched this documentary, quote unquote, on YouTube. Some guy made um, like an hour long piece about all the ways that Oliver Stone is lying in the Doors movie, how Oliver Stone is lying about Jim Morrison or events that happened to the Doors. Uh, It's a lot, actually. He's lying about a lot of stuff in that movie. (laughs) And I know that, uh, you know, you use artistic license to make a story work because people's lives aren't movies, per se. Movies only last a couple hours, and people's lives ideally last way longer than that. They're not uh, uh, dramatically sound, per se. And especially with a biopic. And by the way, whatever happened to saying biopic? I love saying biopic. What's with biopic? It's so much more clinical. I don't like that pronunciation. So I'm going to go with biopic. Especially with a biopic, where you're trying to recount true life events, it's important to realize that Hollywood is fudging the history And sometimes they're fudging the fuck out of the history of famous musicians or politicians or leaders of culture or what have you. Sometimes they're lying like fucking crazy. And uh, apparently, according to this researcher, Oliver Stone made up a lot of shit about Jim Morrison and the Doors. So I had Matt back on so we could talk about it, since he brought the whole Dionysus revelation about how Oliver Stone's The Doors mentions Jim Morrison as Dionysus like a million times in the movie. And going back and watching the film, I was like, holy shit, yeah, he does. It might as well be called The Dionysus instead of The Doors. I think it kind of reinforces my theory that there is this Dionysian cult in Hollywood, and they're promoting their religion through the movies through movies like The Doors and movies like Under the Silver Lake. So with that in mind, here we go. Let's bring you back. Let's go back in time, forward, to now, where I interview the one and the only Max Flackman, aka Matt Kalman, and we talk about all the lies in Oliver Stone's
0: The Doors. <laughs>
1: Hello, is this the (laughs) CalDog? Speaking. CalDog, you're on, uh, post-relevant radio. You have just one BAM bumming around money.
2: What do you say? That's fantastic. Ah, I listen to your show. It's
1: wacky Do in the morning.
0: I listen to your show all the time. Bye.
1: Have you ever heard that Cheech and Chong thing uh, where they're calling people and sa- saying that you've just won BAM bumming around money?
2: No.
1: Uh. It's a classic. You're on it's the awesome. line. We've got you. You're live on the radio. All right.
0: Good.
1: So um, I've called you to be back on the podcast. Welcome back, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh, it's Matt Kalman from episode 13, the Cal Dog himself from the episode where we got drunk. I I called, I wanted you to come back on, Matt, because I saw this little doc, this YouTube doc. It's like an hour long. I can't remember what it's called exactly, but this guy just goes through a litany of inaccuracies uh, from the Doors
3: movie, from Oliver Stone's The Doors movie. And it's a shame, but I probably could have guessed as much.
1: Um, it's incredible, and I just wanted to get your response to all this. Matt, you haven't seen the documentary, correct?
3: Okay, I started watching it. Okay.
1: And I say documentary in quotes because it's just a YouTube video, you know? Yeah, yeah, just a guy with stills. A guy with stills. He's not even using moving, moving images. Yeah. It's just still images from the movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so he just goes on this tirade of all the things that Oliver Stone got wrong in the Doors movie. Okay. Um, and so I, I just wanted to go through with it. I made a short list, okay? Get, all right, get sounds your take, good. Get your hot takes. So okay. I'm going to start reading them. You feel free to just interrupt me or say whatever
3: you think at any moment. All right. By the way, that uh, and that guy from the doc, yeah. he sort of was sourcing... Off of other interviews with people that knew Jim Morrison and stuff. Yeah,
1: he's sourcing other books and interviews and what have you. And so I can't just call him a liar right off. <laughs> he's wrong. <laughs> he's just a denier. Yeah, he's just anti Oliver Stone, which I, I'm pretty sure he's anti Oliver Stone. But I mean, in this, and all of the things that he, that he says Oliver Stone got wrong, it doesn't make me dislike the movie at all. I love the movie. It just seems relevant in terms of like Hollywood and maybe them having a separate agenda from actually just telling the story of Jim Morrison and the Doors. You know what I mean? Gotcha.
3: Interesting. Yeah. And I always wonder about Oliver Stone, how he, how against the system he is. Right,
1: because he posits himself at, he positions himself as like a truth teller in Hollywood, right? Right. And he's always making these truthful, quote unquote, documentaries of different things, um, and, and so I, I always consider him to be very credible. But, um, but you also know what it's like making a movie. And probably, especially movies that are based on real people, they are not. People's lives aren't just naturally don't fit a natural dramatic structure. And especially a Hollywood structure, so they probably got to fudge shit. All right. All right. But here we go. Here we go. Bring it. I'm just gonna go through them. First okay. of all, Venice Beach was a ghost town. It was not like a very populated hippie hangout in the mid '60s. Interesting. Yep. Jim Morrison graduated with a bachelor's degree from cinematography from UCLA, so he didn't just quit school.
3: He didn't just get up and go, I quit, walk out
1: of the room? That didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jim didn't follow Pam home. To Love Street? That's correct. It took Ray Manzarek months, according, I think, to Robbie Krieger. Either John Densmore or Robbie Krieger said that it took... Ray Manzarek months to come up with the intro to Light My Fire.
3: <laughs> As opposed to 15 minutes? Right, 10, exactly. Or three minutes? Yeah, three
1: minutes. There's no evidence of Jim saying, I like a guy who wears his soul on his face.
3: Okay, I don't even remember that line from the movie.
1: Oh, it's like when they're playing a gig at the Roxy or whatever, and this guy comes up to him trying to get them to sign a contract. Uh, okay. And so okay. Jim says, I like a guy who wears his soul on his face. Apparently he never said that. Okay. Jim never got up in front of a crowd after that show yelling, I am the Lizard King, and how many of you people know that you're really (laughs) alive? I want
3: to see some action out there. Well, that's
1: a different different sequence. But you know what I'm talking about when he's hanging on the fence? Yes. That's upsetting. He never said that. That never happened. Oh, here's a big one. They never went out into the desert and took peyote. Whoa. That never happened. That's rather large. Yeah. The real Jim Morrison never, almost never performed shirtless.
3: But he did bust it for exposing his, uh.
1: Yes, and that's, but even in, maybe even in that concert, his shirt is, like, buttoned up, according to your photographs. Mm. Weird, huh? Jim never suggested that they replace, girl, we can't get any higher, with the line, girl, you couldn't bite my wire. <laughs>
3: And did you ever go back and watch that Ed Sullivan show clip? Does he like lean into the camera? No, say, that never
1: happens, Hi. never. Okay. And and him like running around, and the guy's like, where is he? Camera three, what's going on? <laughs> that, none of that happens. That's okay. all a lie. Uh, Ray Manzarek was not in favor of changing the lyrics on Ed Sullivan. Right. Okay. Oh, because they were pretending he was, right. Right. He's like, what's the, what's the, he says something like, you know, what's like, what's the big deal about changing a couple words or some shit like that. Right. The Stones did it, he says, something like that. Yeah. The shirtless, quote, young lion photos, the famous shirtless photos of Jim with his necklace, where the girl's telling him you can pretend the camera, uh, Mimi Rogers is saying you can pretend the camera is uh, a woman you want to seduce or a man you want to kill. Yeah, those photos were taken by a male photographer
3: you're crumbling my, my, my world here though. So.
1: the Doors never partied at Warhol's factory what? come on that never happened Oliver Stone describes that scene as conjecture okay
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jim never said where's your will to be weird
3: oh come on That's never said one, it
1: also, the blowjob on the elevator that Pam catches Jim and Nico. Mm-hmm. That never happens. That's a shame.
3: I, I, mean, I mean, that's a weird one. It only is, because there's only two people there. Maybe yeah, it
1: it's a little convenient that she just catches them on an elevator with her giving them a blowjob.
3: Yeah.
1: And Jim laughing maniacally like an evil sorcerer. Right. Jim never said, I believe in a long, prolonged derangement of the senses to achieve the unknown. That's
3: actually a quote from Rambo the poet. Oh my gosh. Okay. That was the quote that you got wrong. That's correct. In our conversation previously. That's correct.
1: Are you sure? Uh, according to this doc, quote unquote okay. doc. Okay. Okay. It, Jim might've written about that on a, in a letter to somebody, but it's a quote of the poet Rambo.
3: Nice. Rambo part two? Yes,
1: First exactly. Blood. I was trying to think of a fucking, uh, a Charlie Sheen, whatever that's called, part two. What's that Hot movie? Shots. I think Hot it's Shots. 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 There you go. <laughs> <Part
0: two>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jim didn't meet Patricia Keneally, the witch that he marries in blood. He didn't meet her at a press conference. Okay. That never happened. But he did marry her. He did. Patricia Keneally said that Jim never had any problems with impotence with her.
3: Oh, right, there's that scene.
1: Yeah, that never happened with her.
3: Well, that's very, uh, that's very what we were talking about in terms of Hollywood being like. Yeah. If you're gonna be a rock star. Right. You're gonna eventually become impotent and die. Right.
1: (laughs) Jim was never violent with Pam. If he wanted to fight with you, he would, like, get you to take the first swing at him, sort of. That's how
3: Jim fought. And he never killed a
1: turkey. Oh, well, we'll get there. Oh. (laughs) He never set her closet on fire, though. Oh, right. That never happened. The New Haven concert where Jim was maced happened a Uh year earlier than it does in the movie, and Patricia Keneally wasn't there.
3: Okay, and I believe that's, that's the penis one.
1: That's a different one. Wow. The penis the movie, one is later. It is, um, no, it's in later. Yeah. Oh,
3: I yep. thought he got arrested in New Haven.
1: Well, he starts like a riot in that one because he starts criticizing the police and then he starts like bumping into them and shit and then they, they bust him. Oh, okay. Yeah, the scene where Jim and Pam fought at Thanksgiving and Jim stamps on the duck. The duck? Never happened. Oliver Stone, quote, never really happened. Where he says, let's was- have some death. Mm-hmm. That never happened, okay? Okay. Yeah. The Doors never played a giant outside concert in San Francisco. I'm not exactly sure where that where that happens in the movie, but apparently that never happened. Okay. The "Light My Fire" TV commercial that they see while they're in the studio. Yeah. That's not a real commercial. Oh my goodness, was
3: there any sort of commercial I
1: think (laughs) maybe there was. They definitely sold the rights to the song to General Motors or something. Jim (laughs) didn't throw the TV during that. Apparently Jim was very angry that they did that, but he didn't throw a TV in that incident. He did throw a TV at at the control room window once, at some other point in time, and the TV didn't break and it bounced off the window. Okay. Jim hated heroin, so there's one point where he's asking them to get heroin, but he hated it and he never did heroin, apparently. And also, Jim wasn't always on drugs. He didn't smoke much pot and he gave up smoking pot. He wasn't into pills. He didn't do heroin. They say that Jim was mostly just a drunk. And that when people would ask what he was on, they would say that he was on three bottles of gin or whatever, like Jim was just drunk. Okay, I can
3: relate to that.
1: And Ray Manz <laughs> Ray Manzarek says Jim wasn't drunk all the time either. He was mostly lucid. Okay. Uh, Robbie Krieger didn't take acid before the Miami concert.
3: That's the one where he...
1: Yeah, supposedly exposes himself. mm and there are never any naked girls on stage at any of the concerts.
3: Hmm. That's, that's interesting, because that's a very sort of that's where you, that when, when that happens in the, in the doors, that's really where you're like, oh, this is a, a Bacchanalian.
1: Exactly. Very Bacchanalian.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think that's the concert where he's dancing, where they're all dancing around the fire, and he's singing them dead rats, dead cats, and all that in the crowd. And, which probably never happened, because apparently that song didn't come out until much later on a live album.
0: Okay.
1: Because so, the crowd's like singing it along with him, and that didn't, never happens. And also, I, I don't even know how he would have done that, because the mic chords, there's no way that his mic chord would have been long enough to do that.
3: Right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember noticing that in the, yeah, the movie, being me, like, how long is this mic chord? I had the exact same thought he's running up, up and dropping down the
1: aisles. Yeah, so that didn't happen. Jim never said when, uh, when, when Patricia Keneally has that conversation with him during his trial and she said, like, you took a vow in front of the goddess or whatever and he says, Jim says, I was stoned, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Mm-hmm. He never said that.
3: But did she say that?
1: I don't know yeah. what she said, but she said it really hurt her feelings when she saw that on in the movie. That never happened. Okay. The Doors were invited to Woodstock and they declined it because they didn't like to play outdoors
3: outdoor shows. Okay, but they were they didn't play Woodstock in the movie.
1: No, but they say that they they've been like disinvited to Woodstock or something like that. Or they weren't they weren't invited because of Jim's behavior. Oh, uh, okay. I think that's around when he says I'm having a nervous breakdown.
3: I think I'm having a nervous breakdown.
1: Yeah. Um, so they were invited to Woodstock and they turned it down. Mm-hmm. Pam wasn't there when he's out on the ledge of the Cafe Marmont filming something. Okay. And he gets her to come out on the ledge with him. Yeah. Drunk. That never happened. He, she wasn't there.
3: That's when he says one of my favorite lines. He's like, come on baby. let's." Let's fuck death away, let's fuck death away. (laughs) That's
1: a different scene where he hangs out the window. Oh, okay. This is later on where he's wasted out on a ledge and his friends are filming him. Oh, okay, yeah, right, yeah. And she goes out to get him, that never happened.
3: Okay.
1: Jim didn't walk around saying his own poetry, they say. That's not a thing he would do. Cause you know how he's always sort of like quoting himself every once in a while in the movie? throwing out a line from a song in conversation. He never did that.
3: I always sort of thought that was him sort of saying a line before it was in a song. Right. And like, oh, that's (laughs) later on he was like, What did I say? That was a
0: great line. Right.
1: (laughs) What did I say that one time?
3: (laughs) So he didn't do that.
1: He didn't do that. Jim never went to a party for Ray's daughter because Ray and his wife never had a daughter.
3: Sorry, that one's particularly ridiculous. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, uh, sir, Mr. Stone, um, <laughs> one of the members of The Doors doesn't have a daughter. Yeah. Doesn't matter.
2: <laughs> Shut up. I'm making this movie. <laughs> Back
3: and to the left. <laughs> right. Back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so according to Jim's friends, different friends, members of the band, etc. These are different characteristics that Jim exhibited to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just gonna say, and this is all in quotes, but I'm just, I'm like, it's like I've taken a whole bunch of quotes and just taken single words out of them of people, how they describe Jim's characteristics. Jim is described according to his friends and his bandmates as quiet, sensitive, shy, reserved, soft-spoken, polite. People made a big deal out of saying he was very polite. Kind, gentle, generous. They made a big deal out of saying he was very generous. Caring, a gentleman, several people said that. He's a gentleman. Well read, funny, they said he is a very funny guy. I had a great sense of humor. He was not mopey. Uh, Raymond Zerk says he was not a jerk. He was nice and decent. Robbie Krieger says he was a good friend and normal. Someone you'd want to be around. Robbie Krieger also says the movie is, quote, laughable as a historical artifact, end quote. Uh, mm. Raymond Zarek was always outspoken against this movie, against the Doors movie. Right. And Robbie Krieger also said that Jim had a way of making everyone he met think that he was their best friend. I believe it. All that is, <laughs> according to this YouTube doc, all that is was incorrect in the doors movie about Jim Morrison. Uh,
3: uh, yeah, well, I mean it fits. It definitely fits. But doesn't it make it
1: seem like it does it kind of reinforces our whole Hollywood Dionysus agenda argument.
3: Yeah, it's like you you you've one choice. If you're going to be a genius, you you're going to you have to be a jerk. Uh-huh. It'll corrupt your soul. Yeah. It'll turn you into a drug a- uh, addict, impotent. Yes. Yeah. And it will eventually make you die by by 27. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because he's just a total psycho. (laughs) And you really think about his behavior in the movie, he's just a dickhead. (laughs) Right. Although I do think he's funny in the movie, and I think that Val Kilner plays him with a lot of humor.
3: You know, he like changes in the beginning, he's all nice and everything, and then he turns into a monster in the movie. Yes. Yes.
1: And they say, like, that. When Jim was drinking, he could be, he was sort of a Jekyll and Hyde kind of guy in real life. But that, uh, you know, he wasn't wasted all the time and that he was a really nice, polite, caring, generous, wonderful
3: guy. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) when you, when you, (laughs) I agree. I mean, when you look at the, when you look at like, that's one difference of like photos of Morrison as opposed to like photos of Val Kilmer in the movie. Uh He always looks like so nice and sort of starry eyed and sort of like kind in many of the pictures, you know? In real, the real world pictures. The real world pictures, right. But Val Kilmer has sort of a maniacal look in his eyes, like he's possessed.
1: There's a malevolence, there's a malevolence on his face very often. Mm -hmm. Obviously Val did an incredible job and you gotta make you gotta drama him up sorta. Right. You know what I mean? You gotta make Jim more dramatic. I mean he's both like the protagonist and the antagonist of that
3: movie, sorta. Right. So how did he die? I thought it was drugs.
1: Um I don't know if they ever determined exactly how he died. If it's a heart attack or drug overdose. I'm not sure interesting yeah I mean and then there's the conspiracies that he never died so right so you can find like a website that'll show like Jim working on a ranch in Montana as an older man something like, <laughs> yeah. something like that he like lives on a ranch somewhere
3: so just to drum it up just that just that they, they drummed it up for yeah. the sole purpose of drama or is it a little more lascivious more Hollywoody, y
1: What's what, what's the takeaway? I would guess it's a little of both. I mean, it sort of supports my thesis of the uh, the whole Dionysian cult in Hollywood. Right. You know, since they make a point out of Dionysus over and 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 over again in that movie. hmm It kind of so it kind of supports it supports it supports that thesis of mine. But then you can also see that sort of like formulaic Hollywood thing of like. This is how a movie works. Yeah,
3: you know. And every uh, every uh, bon vivant, bon, it's put in place. <laughs> what do you mean, Dionysus? You know,
0: well. you
3: know, you, you, you can't be a genius without dying early. Right. You can't you can't buck the system without it bucking your back. System bucks you
1: back. You're gonna get it if you
3: think outside the box. Right. Now I'm still waiting on your, your final grand conclusion and the final scene from Under the Silver Lake. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if, if the Dionysus in Under the Silver Lake gets up comeuppance.
1: Oh, if he gets yeah. come comeuppance. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It's different. It's different, actually. But in a way, and if you were to look at uh, Under the Silver Lake as a regular narrative, then it does sort of look like he gets humbled, right?
3: He sure does. Doesn't get his prize, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's but sort of I, homeless
1: and I'm sorry, he's you. He's lost it all. Yeah, he's lost exactly. He's lost it all. But I, uh, I believe it symbolically it's something. It means something entirely different. So um, mm. you'll just have to hang on. The I'm gonna interview Andy. I'm gonna talk to that Brother Andy tonight. We're gonna talk about the scene. I'm calling it the King's Chamber, where the homeless king chains him to a chair in his little cave. Oh, yeah. Which is interestingly filmed. That scene is filmed in the old zoo in Griffith Park. There, apparently it's a, an abandoned zoo. Really? They filmed that there. Yeah, you can find images of the old zoo online, and you and it right away you're like, oh, that's the scene in the cave with the king. It was in a bear cave, a bear alcove that they repurposed. <laughs> really cool, man. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's it. I, I really appreciate all your... Uh, your comments there, and uh, I was hoping that I could put you on the spot and see if we can get a joke from you.
3: Another joke? Yeah, bro. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't know why this one just popped up into my head, what, but, what do you uh, got? but have you ever uh, have you ever smelled mothballs? No. You've never smelled mothballs?
1: No, I've never smelled mothballs. What do they smell like?
3: Phil, have you have you forgotten the number one rule of improv comedy? Oh yes I have. Hey Phil, have you ever smelled mothballs? Yes I have. Really? How'd you get my little legs apart? It's a terrible joke.
1: Do, <laughs> do moths have balls? Oh
3: my god, don't analyze it. <laughs> but yes, they have great balls. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like a moth doesn't have like a clueca or something? <laughs> I wonder how they do it. Do you think they, like, lay eggs on the lady moth's wings or some weird shit like that? I wonder how they... That's a great,
3: great question. How do they do it? Currently in upstate New York, we're having a, an infestation of uh, squishy moths. The gypsy moths. Yeah. Nice. we are apparently renamed squishy moths. Oh. Maybe to not offend the gypsies. Or maybe to encourage people to squish them. They It, it is madness. It is. There's a lot of caterpillars and moths. Wow. Are you squishing them? Sometimes. Nice. You gotta
1: do what you gotta do, Matt.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's just me versus you know, I'm just supporting my, my oak trees. Make sure they don't get eaten.
1: Yeah, stop them. Yeah, there was that one tree that you said that they had they were murdering there, that one beautiful tree.
3: That's right. I think I think that mighty oak will will endure.
1: Let's hope. You can always uh photoshop leaves on it in photographs later on photographs, that's the important part. <laughs>
0: Alright,
1: well um thanks Max Max Flackman, the cow dog himself. You got it. Always you, a pleasure. Yeah, anything
3: else you want to leave the listeners with? Oh my god. I just rubbed I just squished a moth and it got all over me. Ew, yeah. the balls. Moth balls. Ew, you really smell those balls too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I right. right, we'll j- want
3: to leave you listening for it.
1: Yeah. Nice work. Go jump in the cement pond. All
3: okay. right. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the next episode.
1: Uh, well, as
3: soon as I can,
1: man. As soon as I can. It's, it's starting now. We're, this recording with you is the beginning of the recording of the next episode.
3: So consider yourself uh, a the catalyst. The beginning of the end of the end of
1: days. Yeah. Two more. Two more decodes. This one and. Uh, and then the scene, the final bits where he's watching the movie at his place and, and then goes and hangs out with the bird lady. That's That'll be the final decode. But this one's just the scene in the king's chamber with the homeless king. Look forward to it. Awesome, buddy. Thanks, Phil. All right, man, thank you. I'll talk to you later, Max Dog. All right, bye-bye. Later. Before I forget, I'd love uh, for people to support this podcast, the Post Relevant Podcast, and you can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash post relevant to help support my efforts so that I can keep doing this and making more podcasts in the future. It takes a ton of work to make these shows. Uh, they're very production heavy because I want them to be awesome. I'm not just, I don't want you to just listen to me talk. It's not all about that. I, I'm crafting. I'm hand crafting a special audio gift for you with that in mind I really could use your support so please go on over to patreon.com forward slash post relevant and donate if you care to I will be coming up with tiers and gifts in the near future but anything helps so yeah thank you <laughs> okay so that was fun right I love, uh, having Max on the show and I'm going to get him back on the show in the near future. We will weave some improv magic. This, I swear. So stay tuned. So we're going to get into our decode. But before we do that, I want to share another new song from an album that will remain nameless out of spite. (laughs) Maybe someday I'll explain. I don't know if I ever will, but, uh, I thought that this song was relevant to this episode since we're talking about Sam's moment of truth about why he carries dog biscuits and about how he misses his girlfriend so this is a song about a girl a tall girl and it is called tall Post relevant a good guest, the most Swedish of American podcasts. It's true. I'm your Swedish host, at, I don't know how you would say Phil in Swedish. Fjell, fjell. Rastaino. But you're like Anders is like it feels like it's just, just uh hop skip and a jump away from Scandinavia. It's true. Andrew, Anders. Your name means man.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's why Mr. Anderson from the uh The Matrix is the, the son of man, just like Jesus. Uh-huh. Mr. Anderson. Welcome back to <laughs> 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 the I'm in, out of my mind. To the post relevant podcast. This is Phil Restino. We're gonna do a decode. Hooray! All about the scene featuring Sam chained to a chair in a cave with the homeless king. That's all we're doing. Just that one scene. That's amazing. Yep. Just that one scene. And that voice that you heard speaking just then, no, it's not an optical or audio illusion. It's not you dreaming this into reality. It's actually happening. It's Anders Restino, Anders Landbridge himself, thats me! Brother Andy back in the podcast, welcome
2: back. Hi everyone, I'm back. That's all you have to say? Ah, uh, well, uh, is there a question? You want? What do you want, an update? Ah, uh, a question? God damn it. Do I have to do everything? No, but uh, okay. you are emceeing the podcast.
1: You're right. How are you? That's my question. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm good, fellow babies. What can you talk about in I, your yeah, current life? Stuff. Well, you can. I had an experience that, oh, as I was having it, I said, "Oh, I should bring this up on the podcast." Because usually oh, boy. you ask me, "Have I done anything interesting?" And I'm usually like, "No," <laughs> but you surely have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, me and Anna went to we went to float tanks yesterday. Oh, so we did some sensory deprivation tanks, which I had never done before. Where is that? In uh, East Hampton.
1: Okay, cool. That's like eastern Massachusetts. Yeah. Okay. Well, Western. A oh, Western Mass. Western yeah. Mass. I, my my mistake. Please forgive yeah. me. Please. Yes. I forgive. I will. Forgive. So you went. How did you find out about these things? These float tanks. You uh, just
2: looked it up. I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I don't really know how it came up, but I looked it up a while ago, and my partner Anna is pregnant right now, and uh, yeah. I was looking for ways to alleviate some of the pregnancy woes. Right. And I read that float tanks were good for that. So I, I bought some, float tank passes.
1: Nice. Do you know who the father is?
2: Oh, whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> um, and so, I, I uh, haven't done a genetic test. so Okay. It could be anything anybody. I say is an assumption.
1: No doubt. So you guys went to the float tank. When did that happen?
2: Uh, yesterday.
1: Okay, and so tell us all about it. What happened? Give us the it, lowdown. It's
2: cool. uh, it was a super chill place. It was in a big mill that yeah. was totally like not didn't look nice, and but once you got into the place, it it was super chill and had like a sitting area with books and tea and stuff. And you can just chill there for as long as you want, and then sweet, uh, they bring you into the tank and they tell you the rules of the tanks. And then you shower uh, so that you don't have any oil and then you get in and the water is filled with Epsom salts.
1: Yeah. So you float.
2: Yeah. It's, it, so they say it's so buoyant, you can float a uh, bowling ball. And
1: did you bring a bowling ball with you?
2: I did not realize I had, I could. No, you're not supposed to put anything else in there besides yourself.
1: Oh, and also was it Shomer Shabbos?
2: Shomer Shabbos?
1: Yeah. Did you roll?
2: I, I didn't roll. I forgot okay. the bowling ball. But I, the Pomeranian has its papers.
1: Nice business papers. Yeah. My business papers. Show papers. So,
2: you guys, <laughs> uh,
1: what else? Did he, what else did he lose? I also lost. Oh, I also lost a rug.
2: A set, yeah, yeah. and he's
1: like, it's a separate, a separate, <laughs> a separate burglary. <laughs> yeah, they determined like it's two different burglaries. Right. Um, uh, okay, I'm totally diverging. I apologize. Yeah, so right. you guys go there, you yeah. shower so that you're not filled with oils. Yeah. It's super chill. And how, chill. Is, uh, how is getting in the thing?
2: Uh, it was easy for me. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you can't, you don't go in. It's a one person tank. So we each had our own tank. Yeah, there's like things on the side that you can hold on to to get in. But you just get in, you sit down in the tank, and
0: mm-hmm. then you
2: lie back and you're just floating. And it takes a second to kind of like get used to how to float in it, even though you're super buoyant. And then there's like a a light that's in the tank that you can shut off and you shut that off and they give you earplugs before you go in. Nice. And so you're just in there and the tank is hot. It's at skin temperature. The water and the tank are both at the temperature of your skin. Nice. So you just kind of, it's like supposed to feel like you're not feeling anything basically and you just kind of zone out and we did that for like an hour and it was really cool i had a a lot of audio hallucinations and really some visuals yeah it was kind of like you know when you're like if you take a nap in the afternoon and you're having dreams and you're kind of like half awake and you're aware you're dreaming yeah it was kind of like that so it was like i'd have hallucinations but then like the second i tried to focus on them they went away hmm and then it would come back. But I, I, was, I wasn't was asleep at all. I was awake the whole time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. Would you recommend it? Sure. And what about Anna? Did she report anything?
2: She did not have hallucinations, but she enjoyed it. Okay. She liked it. was it. at
1: least relaxing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, That's I took good. the weight off. And...
1: Yeah. Because she's like, she brought a bowling ball in with her.
2: She did bring a bowling ball. It, it floated. Yes. Yeah. It, she said it was tough to get out because it, it, all of a sudden the weight was back. She was concentrating on just trying to have a blank mind. And uh, mm. I already have a blank mind. So <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> no, I think if you like, I know you have a good meditation practice, so you might mm. get a lot out of being in one.
1: Well, Joe Rogan would, uh, Joe Rogan would eat pot and do it.
2: Right. Supposedly you're not supposed to do that. But yeah, I can see that being a lot of fun.
1: I was once on a courtroom daytime TV show. Right. In LA. I think Mm -hmm. they paid me 50 bucks to be on it. Right. And my character was supposed to be a guy who... Wait, are
2: you saying that courtroom TV shows are fake?
1: Really fake. And they pay like shit. Right. The character I was supposed to be playing was a guy who was maybe either drunk or on or high or, or an acid or something. And he got into a float tank and it freaked him out. Right. And so he was like suing the, suing the float tank place. Right.
2: So you, what you got paid, couldn't even pay for a research float tank.
1: No, yeah, no way. No way. And they kept on, they were encouraged me to like argue with the judge, the lady who's the judge, you know, but I, I couldn't, I I couldn't argue with her very effectively because I knew in my heart that my character was wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Dead wrong. Yeah.
2: They're like, we want, you're going to be the guy that everyone hates and wants to go to jail.
1: Exactly. I was going to be the guy that she was going to say, like, shut up. Yeah. Sit down. But I don't know. It didn't go anywhere. It didn't really go very far. Um, But that's my only float take experience. I don't think I've ever been in one, so. Yeah. I'd love to try it. Yeah, maybe
2: next time you come to visit, we could go.
1: Oh, Fascinating. You know, it's interesting that you bring all that up because part of the research that I'm actually probably not going to get to in this conversation, right. but I've got like every episode, there's more, the research expands and I can barely cover it all. Right. So like this, you this episode, I need a way bigger tarp. Good suggestion. Yeah. This episode I think is going to be called the King's Chamber. Sure. Hopefully I can fit it all into two two parts. Right. Like that's how much, but I've been listening to this book on tape called The Immortality Key by, I think the guy's name is Brian Marescu. Okay. And he's done all this research to prove that the the lunar cults from ancient Greece, you know, like the triple goddess cults. Right. And the Dionysian cults from ancient Greece and ancient Rome, the Bacchian cults. That at the heart of their mystery, religion experiences were hallucinogens. Nice. Either through a hallucinogenic beer that was laced with ergot, which was a mold that grows on the barley. Right. Or a hallucinogenic wine, which was potentially laced with mushrooms or opium or cannabis or nightshades. And even potentially uh, like frogs and lizards and stuff like that. So I've been listening to these hours and hours of this book. It's really incredible. It's at the heart of the, uh, the, like essentially the moon goddess and Dionysian religions from ancient Greece and Rome. And it's where all the research has taken me, but I don't think we're going to really talk that much about that in this conversation Because I got other stuff that I think maybe might be a little more relevant. But you talking about the sensory deprivation tanks reminds me that like the the ancient Greeks would do stuff like they would just go in a cave and lie down in a cave for three days or whatever.
2: Oh, that sounds incredible.
1: Yeah. Hope
2: they brought snacks.
1: Uh, I don't know if they would bring snacks. I don't know.
2: Oh, maybe that Unless helps. it was
1: mushrooms, it could have been right. mushrooms. Because there's this whole idea of if you die before you die, then you won't die when you die. Huh,
2: nice. What do you think that means?
1: But it just reminds me immediately of you talking about the sensory deprivation tank. So that that your story like really fucking jigsaws with everything really nice. sweet, sweetly. I'm,
0: I'm
2: yeah. impressed. Thank you. Well, I did it. I finally did it, Phil. <laughs> My my penultimate episode. Right, you brought up
1: the thing that I'm probably not going to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) And you're right, it is your penultimate episode. Unless we do a watch-along or a wrap-up or something, I don't know. But this is the second to last Decode with Brother Andy. Holy moly. So all you listeners out there, all you you fellow babies out there in listener land, this is uh, one of your last chances to really... Experience the wisdom of Andy Rostino and all of his recorded glory. Yeah. It would be great if you knew how to fart on command. You could just fart right then.
2: I tried. Can <laughs> <laughs> you pick that up?
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: was awesome, man. Thanks, man. I always got Fucking one in hate. the chamber. You're
1: batting a thousand right now. Yeah. Wow. That's right. Shit. I just had a conversation today with, with uh Max Flackman from nice. episode thirteen, who said hi to you, by the way. Oh nice. I think I I, that yeah. Before. Hi Max. Yeah. Great insight. He's he's a fan of yours and I'm sure right you're a fan of his. It. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And uh I saw this
1: thing yesterday about some guy made a YouTube video of like an hour long or so, all about all the things that are incorrect in the doors in Oliver Stone's The Doors movie. <laughs> Is that like the whole movie? Oh, my God, man. It's a litany of like huge moments in the movie that are total fabrications. Right. Like the Doors never took peyote out in the desert. What? Yeah, all this stuff like that that Oliver Stone is just speculating or making up, just brazenly making up. Yeah. And so I I talked to him earlier today and we went through the whole list because I wanted to get his responses to everything and he was great. And it sort of reinforces my... Dionysus cult Hollywood theory that now it seems like Oliver Stone is in on it, right? And it was using the Doors as a way to like just funnel in all the Dionysus cult huh. imagery and stuff into the Doors movie, which, wow. like, because because he's just the way he portrays Morrison is completely inaccurate, and they're calling Jim Morrison Dionysus every like third minute in the movie, and right. it's insane. So, it's been very eye-opening in that way that just to see that and so that's going to be the first part of this episode and you and me talking now is probably the second or third part of the episode. Cool. Yeah, so you and Max are going to be on the same episode. Awesome. Nice job. So that was really fun. And now you and I are going to have a fun time talking.
2: Oh, I can't wait.
1: <laughs> When's the fun going to start? I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> There's stuff that we should talk about and then we're going to I'm going to lay out a couple cool things and then we're going to do we're going to read the scene cool of Sam and the Homeless King in the cave. All right. And then uh I might have more information after that, but we might just I might just cut it short right there. So, I've been on the Reddit oh, and yeah. I I've, I've been communicating with people on the Reddit. Nice. Uh every once in a while I'll get a response and uh one listener who's like five episodes into the podcast has was just straight up started messaging me nice and this person's smart and very cool and they're on to they get what's happening in this in the in under the silver lake they get it cool their their handle is something like cutie 42 like the you know like 42 from yeah, Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's guide, guide. QT but it, or but it's spelled Q-U-E-U-E-T-I-E. Okay. I'm not sure if this is a male or a female. I thought it was maybe initially a lady, but now I think it might be a dude. I can't tell. But they hit me up with all these cool... They started talking... They hit me up, like, saying that they dug the podcast and then started laying out some I- cool ideas. Yeah. They were talking about Silver Sun pickups and how they do, like, codes in their videos and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, and then they, uh, I, I guess I'm just gonna refer to the person as they. Or I could just say 42. Let's call them 42. Okay. All right. So 42 said, "Help me understand turning teeth." So turning teeth, what turns teeth, Andy? Time. No. No. Okay. Flyers. No.
2: Have we talked about this before?
1: No, because I never even considered this, but it's amazing.
2: What turns teeth?
1: Yeah. There are teeth inside of a a thing. It's inside of a thing and it's not your mouth. Okay.
2: Hmm. Do you give up? Sure. (laughs) Okay. I guess that's that's a better radio if I give up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, we are innovating radio. We are trying to do the best radio we can. We are. Because this is 1987. A lock has teeth in it.
2: Oh, so open in a lock.
1: A key would turn the teeth in a lock. Sure. So turning teeth refers to a key in a lock.
2: Interesting. Cool. And that they came up with that or they asked you what it meant and you came no, up with
1: No, they came up with that. 42. Wow. Yeah, man. So that's what that means. Sure. Right? And, and that also I mean, sounds
2: like eternity when you sing and it.
1: And yes, and they agree with that as well. So it's a key in a lock. That's what turning teeth is. Hmm. And... And that makes complete sense with the movie because it's all about having the keys to the underworld. Right. That's what the, the triple goddess has. Sure. And even the homeless king does, which we'll discover. So that blew my mind. Then they said, 42 said, look up the Golden Dawn self-initiation book cover. Okay. Hold on. The Golden Dawn self-initiation book cover. So listeners out there, look it up. Okay. If you look at it, you see it starts with this. The bottom of the image is a guy chasing a rabbit. And then there's a doorway with a wall surrounding a hill. And the doorway has the two columns that are Masonic, the light and the dark. Right. And on the top of the doorway is that uh, winged symbol that's uh, above the mausoleum when Sam goes to the party. And then there's a, a hill and it leads up to like, um, I can't remember what it leads up to, but like, there's like the sun and the moon up at the top of the hill. Right. I'm not looking at the image right it now. It goes What's above at the, top? the
2: clouds. Yeah. And then there's grapes and like a little, maybe it's an incense ball or something. It's.
1: Yeah. That's like a, it's a symbol from the church. Right. It's a
2: Pokeball. Yeah. From Pokemon.
1: But is there a mansion or anything at the
2: top there? No. Okay. There's a cross on top of the symbol and then there's a sun and the moon and a crown. Yeah.
1: yeah, a crown, right? Exactly. So that's God essentially or the great architect in in masonry. But like the hill with the roadway is totally just like the Wizard of Oz or like right. Sam walking up to the mansion. Yeah.
2: Totally. And there's a wall around the hill with the path.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Like you can only go up the path if you Go through this method or
1: something. Through that. Yeah, exactly. And so clearly the Golden Dawn magical tradition is being referenced in the film. Sure. Which is, you know, like Masonic and maybe related to Aleister Crowley as well and, mm-hmm. and would be like, it would have found its way through Hollywood. So I'm there's a magical tradition that's being referenced throughout the film as well, you know, which links up to the the whole thing with the moon and witchcraft and all that shit. So. Right. So there's another clue and then that thing that other picture that i sent to you that 42 sent to me it's a lady of the lake card from the gwent deck which is from
2: it looks like a pretty modern deck
1: i think it's from the witcher okay but so and like so like the position that the lady of the lake is in is pretty much the same position as millicent when she's dying in the lake the the playboy cover yeah right And so I was, I I was like, oh, okay. So it really solidified that image to me that in that moment after she's shot and she sinks into the lake that she's given Sam the silver ring. Right. So that's like the lady of the lake giving Arthur Excalibur. Sure. So she's given him the silver, like the Excalibur, and then she sinks back into the lake. So she, she, she dies. But in that moment, symbolically, she's the lady of the lake. Okay. You know, and so, I mean, like, and it's just reinforcing the whole Knight's Quest idea as well.
2: Is that a specific tarot card that they're referencing, or?
1: I don't think so. Okay.
2: Gwent is a game, I'm not aware
1: of it. it. If it is a tarot card, I'm not aware of it. Maybe it is. What were you saying?
2: I said Gwent's like a game, right? Like a card game.
1: Yeah, honestly, I have no, I mean, I guess it is, but I don't know anything about it. But just uh, 42 sending me that image, I was like, oh, yeah, that's really because, you know, like I knew that the image of the position that she was in sinking into the Silver Lake Reservoir was important. Her sinking into the bottom of the lake was important, but I couldn't quite put it together. And that image just solidifies it for me. Like, yeah, she symbolically in that moment, she is the lady of the lake. Okay. so I don't know. I just thought that was really fucking cool. Sure. Okay, so a couple other things that I've gotten from Reddit, from All the right. Reddit group. Let's hear it. Uh, there's someone named Scarlet Sins26. They did a post which is that Sam plus Sarah equals Samsara. Oh, nice. And Samsara in That's the Buddhism and Hinduism. Earth, right? Yes, the beginningless cycle of repeated birth, mundane existence, and dying again. Samsara is considered to be. Suffering and in general unsatisfactory and painful, perpetuated by desire and ignorance and karma. It's the right. opposite of nirvana. Right. Oh samsara in Sanskrit means flowing on and passing through. It's the wheel of life, the veil of illusion that hides true reality. We are trapped in samsara until we find enlightenment.
2: Ah, oh, it sounds a lot like the movie.
1: So Sam and Sarah yeah. equals samsara. Yeah. Blows my mind. Yeah. Really good. Really good catch by that person. Sure. We're going to move on to talking about the homeless king and the actor who plays him and that whole scene, and then we'll read the scene. Okay. So this guy named Tony Youngblood on the Reddit, he posted about the hill where the homeless king is supposed to be, that Sam passes on his way to meet the final man and the three women in the hut. You know that hill that I kind of say looks like the top of the pyramid? Right. Right. That's called B-Rock in Griffith Park. Cool. The Homeless King's Chamber, this is something I sort of found out on my own, but the Homeless King's Chamber is built in the old zoo in Griffith Park. So there's an abandoned zoo in Griffith Park called the Old Zoo. Right.
2: Yep. I've been there.
1: Oh, you've been in there, huh? You've walked around in there? You've hiked around there?
2: Yep. I've had picnics there.
1: Oh, wow. A picnic basket? Yeah. So there's an old bear enclosure, and that's where they built out that area into the the Homeless King's Cave.
0: Oh, interesting. At the old zoo. Yeah.
1: So if you look up pictures of the old zoo, you'll see it right away. Yeah. It's the fucking... I mean, I don't know if they did a lot to that, to make that set look that way, but it already looks an awful lot like the Homeless King's Cave.
2: Oh, man, wow. I, t- I totally see it now.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean,
2: I've had a picnic right outside of there.
1: That's crazy. Did you hike around in there?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's... It- if you look on the... If you're facing the other way, you're just facing a field. Oh, okay. So, hmm. That's really funny that that's where that is. I Isn't totally that cool? See it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I thought that was dope. I never even considered that. And, you know, just symbolically, in Native American culture, the great bear is a symbol for God. Oh, cool. You know, I had a conversation with John Ritan when he watched the movie. Okay. Our friend John Raitan And... He pointed out to me that The Homeless King is played by this guy named David Yao, who's the lead singer of Jesus Lizard.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool.
1: So here's a little bit of information about David Yao. Okay. Lead singer of Jesus Lizard, born in 1960. He's my height, five foot six. Timothy Leary said, Yao makes Elvis Presley look like mild picante sauce. <laughs> Kurt Cobain cited David Yao as one of his biggest influences. Uh-huh. According to an interview in the Village Voice with David Yao, Nirvana and Jesus Lizard played three shows together, and one of the shows they played was at this place called Maxwell's in Hoboken, New Jersey. And they got along really well, and one of the Nirvana songs really stuck with them. I think it was In Bloom. Uh Uh-huh. You know, the, she's the one, he's the one who likes all those pretty songs. And they said after the show, they were like driving around singing the song, which He said, never happened. So there was something that they really loved about Nirvana. And so after that first concert with them, they decided they wanted to record a split single together. Hmm. So Nirvana and Jesus Lizard recorded a split single, which means Nirvana is on one side of the single and Jesus Lizard is on the other side. And that is called... They did that for Touch and Go Records. And that is called Puss. I think Puss is the... Jesus Lizard song and Oh the Guilt is their Nirvana song, Uh but it might be the other way around. Yeah. And you can just find that on YouTube. If anyone wants to look it up, it's just look up uh, Nirvana, Jesus Lizard, Puss, Oh the Guilt. So they recorded a song together. I wonder if this was more stunt casting on Mitchell's part to have David Yao as the homeless king, because he knew that Cobain was like a fan of Jesus Lizard and that they had recorded a single together.
2: That's cool. Has he done any acting before this?
1: Well, in this 2011 Village Voice interview, at the end of the interview, he says he's saying he wants to get into acting. Oh, so cool. by this point, by the time 2018 has come around, he's already been acting and shit. Right. Uh, here's a couple of funny things from that interview in in 2011 in the Village Voice. The interviewer asks him if he wants to record new music with the Jesus Lizard and Yao says, I don't see any need to go to that again. I really love my ex-wife, but I don't want to fuck her again. (laughs) And then the interviewer is asking him about the gig that they played with Nirvana that I mentioned. And the interviewer says that he saw the show. And the interviewer says, I was standing up front with a friend and you grabbed his head and you wouldn't let go. It was awesome. (laughs) I just thought that was funny. Yeah. So John Raitan and I, when we lived in Albuquerque, we saw them play at the like the rock club in Albuquerque. Right. And John remembered that David Yao just like slapped some guy across the face. Oh wow. In the audience and then apologized. Right. So and I, I kinda remember that. I'm not sure. I thought maybe he had like hit somebody with a microphone in the head or something. I can't quite remember, but he just sounds like a crazy dude. Just like a wild cat, you know? He's the guy playing uh, the Homeless King. Let's read the thing. Then I've got some more information about the what the Homeless King symbolizes. Okay. But it's not too much. So we won't be going on and on forever. So let's read the scene. Okay. Just before, in the last scene, in the Final Man and the Three Brides scene, I watched the end of that before I re this scene right. just today. And I realized, I noticed that the Final Man looks really... Out of his mind as he's talking like, what are you going to win? You know, it's right. just a sawdust filled rabbit. He looks really bug eyed and crazed like he's right. on drugs. Yeah. Which I hadn't really quite put together before. But because they drink this tea and I think this is implying this whole mushroom, this whole like Dionysian moon goddess, like hallucinogenic cult. He's inferring that in, in, in this scene. So he passes out, and then Sam passes out,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then you see the the doorway open in the f- ground and the Homeless King comes out, mm-hmm. and he's sort of framed in the doorway as if it's like a portal, you know? Right. And he comes up and Sam says, how did you find, how'd you know I was here? And he said, we smelled you. Right. And he says, oh, and he passes out, so Right. Are, so he's are, been-
2: I'm sorry to interrupt, but are, are you yeah. saying that this whole scene with the Homeless King could be a hallucination? from the mushroom tea.
1: I think it, it's, it's there's an implication of something otherworldly happening because of it. Right. Okay. So in these traditions, part of the ceremony would be that they would have a chamber that would be underground. Right. You go underground and you drink Dionysus's wine or you drink the the ergot laced beer. And you'd have a meeting with Dionysus, or you'd have a meeting with Persephone, who's the, the, the version of the moon goddess that has been taken into the underground by Hades. Right. So you would meet with the goddess or the god after ingesting the, the ritual tea. Right. So in their ceremonies, you'd go underground and meet with the god or the goddess. So he's drank the tea, he's passed out, and now he's woken up underground. Right. So I'm going to read the, I'll, I I just kind of like wrote out the script here. Sure. You're going to play the homeless king. Okay. I'm going to play Sam and uh, I'll just read the, the little stage directions that I wrote in. Okay. Okay. So here we go with the king's chamber scene. So Sam wakes chained to a chair. There's whistling heard. You can hear whistling going on. Sam says... What happened to that man and those girls?
2: They're waking up right now in their ascension chamber.
1: So what, now you're gonna kill me?
2: Do you know what you did wrong?
1: No. The homeless king reveals two dog biscuits in his hand.
2: We found these in your pocket. Why do you have dog biscuits in your pocket? I used to like a girl that had a dog. When was that?
1: A long time ago.
2: Did she stop loving you? Yeah. Why do you have dog biscuits in your pocket?
1: Because I was waiting for her to take me back. I wanted to give the dog a treat and rub its ears just the way I used to and and everything would be good again. They make eye contact. The Homeless King raises his head and passes judgment. He puts the dog biscuits away. The Homeless King walks over to Sam and unlocks his chains. And he stands over Sam in shadow, in like a silhouette.
2: You can go now. Really? Yeah.
1: You're not... You're not gonna kill
2: me? I don't think so. We might... We're not sure yet, but obviously, you don't mention this to anyone. I won't. Okay.
1: Sam steps out of his chains, picks up the gun off of the chair. So he's been sitting on his gun this whole time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. And then he groggily, like, stumbles up the stairs out of the room. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to a shot of Sam stumbling up the stone, this narrow stone stairwell. Right. And um, I even feel like as it fades from inside the stone stairwell to the outside, where the uh, where the top of the bee hill. Right. I almost feel like at the above the stairs, like at the wall above the stairs, it almost looks like there's a triangle on the wall hmm. as it crossfades to the top of the B Hill there. It crossfades from the stairs to the top of B Hill. And then it, the camera tracks down to uh, like a sewage tunnel at the bottom of it. And Sam emerges out of that into the daylight. Right. Okay. So this, in that moment in the movie, that crossfade was one of the early things that it made me think of this whole idea of the King's Chamber. Because it looks to me like when he's walking up those stone stairs, like he's walking up the stairs inside of the Great Pyramid. Okay. And then it crossfades to the top of Bee Hill, and that really makes me think of the, the top of the Great Pyramid as right. well. And then he emerges out of the bottom of it as if he's emerging out of the bottom of a pyramid, of the Great Pyramid. Right. That's what I, I think part of like the, the visual symbolism in that whole scene is, uh, is this Osiris thing, of sure. the, is the Great Pyramid in that moment.
2: It's funny because when he's walking up the stairs, but he's walking away from the light. Oh, really? Yeah, he's 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 backlit.
1: Yeah, because there's a weird light, like in the back of the cave where the stairs are to leave the cave. Right. So that I think is like the backlit light that he's walking away from.
2: Yeah. I don't know why there's light there. There's probably a, a lamp up there. I it's it definitely makes the scene very dramatic. Yeah, because there's all that cool like
1: shadow and yeah. silhouettes. And going I feel on like and... in that
2: scene, he's like he's going up the stairs, but he's actually walking down in the screen. So maybe it's he's descending.
1: Why do you say he's walking down? I don't understand. It,
2: just the screen direction is he's he's walking up the stairs, but it's shot in a really weird way hmm. uh, that's disorienting. So it looks like he's going down the stairs, even though he's going up the stairs, because the lights behind him, he's walking away from the light. And Uh he's walking down, like, from the top of the screen to the bottom.
1: Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but he is ascending. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's cool. I never considered that it was supposed to be disorienting. Right, well,
2: I mean, the whole place where he's chained up, it feels like... It feels kind of fake, but it also feels kind of like an Escher drawing.
1: Oh, okay. Because
2: all the walls are kind of staggered like stairs.
1: Yeah, the walls are really bizarre, but... So, and, and that, I mean, it surely seems like set design, but when you look at the zoo, the old zoo, that's yeah. what the way those walls look. Right. So bizarre. So it it's almost seems purposefully there. Like they made it there on purpose, but it's actually just, they're just dealing with like the found set. Mm-hmm. It seems like, you know, so it, it, it is fucking weird.
2: So, all right. So what's your initial impression of that scene? I mean, I don't know symbolically what it means. Just what, what's your impression? That's I mean, my I'm initial wondering. impression was, it's kind of like, in a way, we finally get to learn. It's like Sam finally has to admit the truth about this whole journey. It's like he just wanted, he just wants to be back with his girlfriend. And this is all like his search for some sort of peace of mind after breaking up with her.
1: Yeah, it's strange in that unlike almost everything else in the movie, it's almost bereft of like deeper meaning. Yeah.
2: What is so, it's the
1: most straightforward piece in the entire movie, it feels to me.
2: Right. I was just thinking something, but I, I realized it's wrong. But what, I, what was, you I was like, what in the Matrix, the red pill means that means like waking up, right? And blue yeah. king. Yeah. So Yeah. I don't there's just like a scene where the homeless king is holding out the two red dog biscuits and the
1: Oh like the, a, the dog uh, biscuits uh, kind of
2: represent his denial. Interesting. I don't know, but it's not the, it's not a matrix thing. Cause they have it being opposite of that.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't think it is the matrix thing, but it is interesting. Like I, I always look at the dog biscuits as like, do they potentially re- represent something else? You could say right. denial in a way. I mean, I always look at them as like a video game as like little video game. Right. Like Pac-Man eating the, like the little dots. Right. They're very video game symbolism. Sure.
2: Yeah. Cause they're so cartoony. You know? They're fake bone. Yeah. Fake bones. Yeah. Fake bones or like cartoon bones. What do you think the homeless King, I, I, and this might be something you're going to get into later, but Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of talk of Kings, like the final man talks about Kings and like Kings like him and Jefferson sevens. Yes. But then there's also the homeless King. Is he just, is he one of those Kings? He just doesn't have an ascension chamber. I feel like the, he's almost like a spirit. Right. Okay. So he's like the King of Kings. Yeah,
1: he's, he's, he's connected to all this stuff. Absolutely. He's almost like facilitating it all right. in the way that like a God would like a, you know, like, so like, if we want to do use the Egyptian analogy, Jefferson Sevens and the final man are like Egyptian, you know, like, a I, I'm, I'm blanking on Egyptian king names right now common. But, uh, you know, like Amenhotep the right. Third or something like that, right? So they're actual elite royalty that run the Egyptian society, okay? And they're supposed to fuse with the god and they become like Amenhotep Ra or something like right. that, okay? So then they represent the god on earth. But the homeless king is like Osiris, like he's already a god. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have the same kind of needs... As ultimately, like, the final man's desires are still... They seem still sort of slightly petty. He's still concerned with riches and stuff like that. Whereas the Homeless King seems like he's beyond all that. He's like a spirit.
2: Uh-huh. I, I just kind of randomly looked up Homeless King, and it's coming up with uh, Bible quotes about Jesus. Oh, let's, let's hear it. It's not actually... This is some essay somebody wrote.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to read you some stuff. Okay. So... Here's what I think sort of symbolically the Homeless King is really all about. So I looked up the Horn God again, which I have mentioned way a long time ago. Mm-hmm. He represents the male part of Wicca, of witchcraft. He's the consort mm-hmm. of the Triple Goddess. So like the symbol for the Triple Goddess is like a full circle and two half moons that face either direction on each side of the full circle.
2: Mm-hmm. So it's
1: like the three phases of the moon and the horn god is like a full circle with a, a crescent moon on top of it that represents like the moon like the horns so he's the consort of the moon okay and he's associated with nature wilderness sexuality hunting and the life cycle he is the union of the divine with the animal Normally he's depicted with like horns or antlers on his head. He's also portrayed as the Oak King and the Holly King, Uh which represents nature cycles. So like half the year, he's the Oak King, which potentially represents like the light half, which is like the summertime months or what have you. And half the year he's the Holly King, which potentially represents like the dark half, or the winter time of the half of the year. Right. The Horn God is the personification of life force energy in animals and the wild, associated with wilderness, virility, and the hunt. He also carries the souls of the dead into the underworld. Uh, He also can be depicted as the Green Man. Right. Or the sun god, and so the green man is like this symbol that kind of comes from old Britain. Essentially, it's a usually a face that is like a sculpture of a face that's all like covered in, or even made out of like leaves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Out of his nostrils and his mouth, there will be like vines or leaves right. sprouting out, or branches. Even though it's like a, a pagan nature symbol the Green Man heads appear in churches and chapels and abbeys and cathedrals all over Europe. Right. And uh, something I found interesting is he's con- the Green Man is considered to be the source of every inspiration.
2: Nice. So, so that really relates to the movie.
1: Yes, and the Green Man is also related to other mythological figures like Odin, mm-hmm. Dionysus, mm-hmm. Jesus, mm-hmm. Peter Pan, and Robin Hood. So there's a connection to Dionysus. Yeah. One version of the Green Man is also like very associated with Osiris, which I mentioned a long time ago. Right. Because Osiris is always depicted as being green. And they say that like the, the Horn God can also be the Green Man or the Sun God, and Osiris is kind of a Sun God. Right. He's always depicted as green. Osiris is a grain deity who represents vegetation, rebirth, and resurrection. Osiris being a grain deity is significant because like the triple goddess, the meter is always associated with grain and barley because the ergot grows on the barley. Mm. And so they think that potentially one of the reasons that civilization occurred was to brew beer. (laughs) <laughs> and potentially the reason that they're brewing beer is because they figured out how to brew hallucinogenic beer through, right. with the ergot. And like the final man with the three wives there, who represent the triple goddess. In the last episode, where I was talking about how they're the Horai, yeah, sort of like the brides of Horus, right. The priestesses of the temple, so they would be the ones who would know how to brew the beer. Right. They would know how to prepare the ergot-infused beer or the mushroom or opium or cannabis or nightshade or frog, toad, lizard-laced wine. The women would be making that.
2: Sure, so they, they're the key to communicating with God, basically.
1: With the gods of the underworld? Yeah. Yeah, so they're like your ticket. They brew the concoction that allows you to have the experience of interfacing with the god of the underworld. Right. So that adds, you know, extra significance to the whole thing of the three women and the final man and why they're drinking the tea. And, right. And what it means for them to all to end up underground. There's another symbol that the triple goddess signifies, the triple goddess signifies your life above ground and then your death into the underworld and then your life after you've risen again out of the underworld. Right. Oh, and here's something that you'll and that this is the last like little bit of notes that I have that you'll find really interesting. Now, we the last time I hung out with you, we watched The Green Knight. Yeah. The Green Man, the Horned God, that relates also to the story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. So that idea that I mentioned before of the Oak King and the Holly King, Mm -hmm. that story is sort of retold in the story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Right. And so they have this pact between the two of them that one that Sir Gawain cuts off the Green Knight's head, and then the Green Knight retrieves his head and he leaves and he says, you have to come back in a year and meet with me and my realm, and I get to cut your head off.
2: Right. It's only fair.
1: It's only fair. So he has this whole journey to get to the Green Knight. His mother, who's, uh, I think, is Morgan Le Fay, who's a witch, gives him a sash that's supposed to protect him from all injury. And so when he finally confronts the Green Knight, he forgets to tell him that he's wearing the sash. And eventually, he has to tell the green knight the truth that he's wearing the sash that will protect him right and he you know apologizes for for being weak but the the green knight calls him brave right and then i guess at the end of the story all the knights of the round table start wearing the green sash or whatever this sash that gwayne was wearing and it's a symbol of about being honest right nice I think also what we have going on in this scene between the Homeless King and Sam is another segment of his Knight's Quest. Sure. So he's Sir Gawain in that moment, telling the truth to the the Horn God, the Green Man, the Green Knight, the Homeless King. And he passes the test because he tells the truth. Right. Right? Because you can kind of see, like, I feel like there's this moment where once Sam reveals, like, I wanted to pet the dog's head and feed it a biscuit and have everything be good again. And he cries. Right. You see, like, the the homeless king, he kind of tilts his head back and looks at him, and you can see him, like, passing judgment in that moment. He's like, okay, he's telling the truth. Right. This is the truth. Like, he's not out there poisoning dogs. He's carrying these biscuits around because he he hasn't let go of his ex-girlfriend and, and he wants life to go back to normal. But, right. you know, and the way he's admitting it is almost like he's admitting his weakness, you know what I mean? Like, right. this is like a fatal flaw for him or something. It's silly in a way, it's embarrassing, you know? It's a humiliation. Right. So, and I think because he because this scene is all about Sam actually admitting that and telling the truth in that moment, he passes this test with the homeless king and he's allowed to live right. and go on his way. So i didn't even realize that until today but that moment between sir Gawain and the green knight
2: right sure it's that and uh, do you think it's also kind of like the egyptian like weighing of souls type of thing
1: yeah maybe maybe if he's yeah maybe maybe his soul is deemed light enough in that moment right
2: As light as a feather i don't yeah. know but I, it definitely seems very related to the green knight tale
1: sure. Yeah so it's another stage in his quest and I mean he's even talking to a king so right you know so he passes that moment he passes that test without me going way way deep into all the mushroom stuff I would say that's generally what we're up to in interpreting that moment in the right and where we're gonna start for the last thing is on the sign the billboard sign oh, because yeah. he he leaves I just want to talk about it for a second he leaves there and he walks up. Is he on the highway? Where is he? It's like a really busy road. Right. And he walks up to the billboard sign. And if you watch that scene with headphones on, it's really cool because you can hear all these little snippets of all these different songs passing through right. from like left to right or right a to left across passing your head. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's really neat. And then he's looking up at the sign and I think I figured out the whole sign and I kind of want to talk about that. Oh, wow.
2: That. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about that now, or is this...?
1: Yeah, no, let's talk okay. about it now. Because the other thing that we haven't really talked about, but this whole scene is Plato's cave. Okay. The scene with the homeless king in the cave. Okay. It's referencing Plato's cave. But, I, I, you know, all right, so I'll I'll talk about that, but let's talk about the billboard real quick. Okay. So on the billboard, it says, I can see see." Yeah. Instead of, I can see clearly now, right? right? And then his ex-girlfriend's face is cut in half with a clown face crying. Right. And it says hamburgers are love. And so what I think is happening here is that, oh, and this is gonna be related to Plato's cave as well, but he's come out of the cave and he's passed this test and he's changed. Right. And so now, you're, what you're looking at is the integration of his male and female ah. side. So now he's an integrated person. Okay. Because the clown, the crying clown, is Sam, because right. Sam represents the fool. Right. Right? So, in that moment, that half of the face yeah. is Sam as the fool, and the other half is his ex girlfriend, which is like his lost female side that he's been searching for. So when he comes upon the billboard, the two sides, the male and the female, split like that is the integration of the two sides of his self. Or you could say the integration of like the triple goddess, the moon goddess, and the horned king, you know? Right. Or the oak king and the holly king, but it's like the combination, it's the integration of these two sides of the dark and the light they are integrated together now. And I feel like it says, because it says, I can see C, the C is a three. So I can see three, like the triple goddess.
2: Why is C a three?
1: Because one, two, three, A, B, C. Oh, okay. That's just my conjecture. Sure. But that's my justification of why he cut it off there. Right. I can see three, like the triple goddess. Right. And also three is the synthesis of one and two. Right. And that is the pyramid, which we've just been in the pyramid, the Great Pyramid in the King's Chamber. So now the synthesis of the male and the female is like the holy child. So he's sort of reborn as the holy child in that moment. Okay,
2: what, what's the significance
1: of hamburgers? Hamburgers are love. I don't know what it means yet. Okay. Now, what I think, I think it's an anagram. Okay. But I haven't figured it out. And I put out the call to people on the Reddit or to anybody who's a listener of the show. I want to know what your opinions are of hamburgers are love, what it means. So if you go on to like the Under the Silver Lake Reddit, you can drop me a, a DM there and let me know what you think. Oh man, something's exploding outside.
2: Like fireworks? Yeah. Sounds like someone's knocking on your door.
1: No, yeah. <laughs> it's fireworks blowing up outside of my apartment. That's crazy. Holy shit. So, uh, but you know what it says is I ascend now.
2: Nice. Oh, that's really, right? yeah, that's a weird coincidence
1: isn't it yeah those
2: fireworks they
1: just sit in semaphore or whatever i don't know any of the listeners you can contact me on the under the silver lake reddit and message me there let me know what you think hamburgers or love actually means or if it's an anagram of something else let me know what you think and um if i like what you say then uh maybe we can set up little short interviews i'd love to do interviews with listeners or fans of the movie and just do like very 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 short like what do you love about this movie? Right. What did you learn, you know, or how did it change your outlook on reality from watching it? And what you think about Hamburgers or Love? And I want to set up a whole episode where it's just all about like ideas that come from the listeners or from the Reddit readers or from fans of the movie. So you can drop me a line on Reddit or you can go, you can drop me a line at Phil Rostino on uh, Instagram or Facebook and let me know what you think Hamburgers or Love means. Do you have any opinions about
2: that, Andy? I, I have no idea.
1: No? Okay. I, that's my best guess is it's an anagram.
2: There's a guy, it looks like he might be eating a hamburger under the word love. It's one of the guys putting up the sign.
1: Yeah, I agree. And there's a guy like drinking coffee or something. Yeah. All
2: right, and here's where we'll, we'll finish with
1: this. So Plato has the whole thing of the allegory of the cave. Right. From his work, The Republic. And supposedly Plato is a student of the uh, Eleusinian Mysteries. In his cave, it's written as a dialogue between Plato's brother Glaucon and his mentor Socrates and narrated by the latter, by Plato's mentor Socrates. So in the allegory of the cave, Socrates describes a group of people who have lived chained to the wall of a cave all their lives, facing a blank wall. The people watch shadows projected on the wall from objects passing in front of a fire behind them and give names to the shadows. The shadows are the prisoner's reality, but not accurate representations of the real world. So, essentially, essentially, the story is, is that there are these people, and they're chained inside of a cave. Right. And they can only look forward, and there are people casting shadow plays th- from a fire behind them. And the people in the cave only see reality as the shadows being cast by the fire on the wall in front of them. Right. And then in the allegory, someone is freed from the cave. And they climb out of the cave and they go out into the daylight, into the real world, and they're blinded by the sun. And so they can only kind of see, you know, they're just blinded and then they can only sort of see shapes. And then eventually they really start to perceive the, the, the physical world and they see the trees and the sky and nature and the animals. And eventually even they even can perceive the sun itself. Right. So, it's this idea of misperceiving reality, right? And then having an awakening and going up into the real world and now your whole brain is blown by this whole new reality. And then in the idea, the the person that's gone up and seen the real world and has been enlightened, they go back into the cave and they try to warn the other prisoners that there are prisoners in this cave and they're not really perceiving what is real. Right. But I guess according to Plato, that potentially if you're down back in the cave trying to warn the other prisoners that there's more, that the other prisoners might try to kill you because they don't believe you. Right. And you're, you're ruining their experience right. sort of. That's the really, really basic analogy of the, the allegory of the cave, or Plato's cave. Okay? okay? And so, I think that Plato is a potential experiencer of these Illusinian or Dionysian mystery schools and so what he's potentially talking about is a illusinian mystery school experience where he's illuminated through hallucinogens right okay and we've already established that these guys would have the experiences in a cave you know underground right. and that also a thing that they like to do is just go lie down in a cave for a few days right. and, and meditate so i think that you know like plato is alluding to the illusinian mystery schools and this whole idea of being able to seek reality clearly being born again and being able to have a whole new perspective on what reality is Mm -hmm. and so hence like sam comes up out of the king's chamber there the homeless king's cave
2: and he's changed
1: and he's illuminated into the daylight and he comes upon the billboard that used to say i can see clearly yeah and now Not only does he not need to read that, but now he's seeing that he's gonna get to move on from all that. And he's now a more integrated person who's been changed by all of his experiences and now he sees reality in a whole new light. Right. So that's why I think that the scene with the homeless king in the cave is an actual Plato's cave allegory and that that's why he's chained to the chair. Right. Because it's supposed to be referencing Plato's cave. Uh,
2: cool. I mean, do you think the the sign could also be like instead of looking at the sign as his. Just- that's his ex-girlfriend seeing it as what it is, which is a cheap ad trying just trying to sell something. I know that's a totally different reading of it.
1: I mean, I understand why you're saying that and I, I don't disagree with you. Right. He could be not being influenced by his- Emotions. Prejudices yeah. and emotions, but instead like recognizing that that no longer has a bearing on who he is
2: anymore. Right, like maybe he's seeing the the crappy stuffed animal filled with sawdust. Right. That's true. Yeah, you could be right. That's an interesting way to look at uh, it. I mean, I like what you're saying, too, about it being, like, male and female combined. Yeah, that he's
1: a full person right. now, he's integrated.
2: But the clown is so ridiculous that...
1: But I think it's the fool. Right. It's supposed to symbolize the fool, and that's who Sam is, is it... you know? Sure. So, yeah. yeah. But I don't know what hamburgers or Love" are, is, yeah. what that means. It must mean something, though. Sure. Unless it means nothing, and then you're supposed to recognize that it means nothing. Right because it's so dumb. Yeah, it's so vapid. So crass. Yeah. But anyway, that's it. You know, I'll probably do another section in this episode where I talk more about the hallucinogens since I've spent hours and hours and hours doing <laughs> research on that yeah. specific part. And I feel like it really is important to this whole story. And it's only really sort of implied in this movie, but I think it's the true... The true, true? Potentially the real tradition that the whole movie is pointing towards. Right. These Illusinian mysteries of Dionysian traditions. Of these people doing these crazy ceremonies and hallucinating and seeing the goddess or the god in the underworld. Right. And that's a transformative experience for them. In a way, that's just what happened to Sam. But instead of making it this crazy hallucinogenic experience, they made it a moment of truth. Right which is sort of more important, really. You know, a moment of seeing clearly. Right. As opposed to being confused and befuddled and bewitched and led astray and not knowing what to do, not knowing where he's going. and sort of like he regains himself in that moment. Right. But that's that. Cool. Yeah, man. Any last words? Any opinions that I haven't touched on or thoughts that you've had about that scene?
2: Not that I can think of. I think I, I brought them up while we were talking, so...
1: Your float tank story is freaking perfect. Yeah.
2: It's weird. Or is
1: it?
0: <laughs>
1: I I find it fascinating just in relation to, you know, the synchronicity of things. Yeah. You're in your little cave. Yeah,
2: I definitely am right now.
1: But I mean, even in that moment in the... Yeah. You are essentially going to the, the... float tank. The float tank is you going into Plato's cave. and sure. Lying down in a cave for three days. Right. I don't know. It's a similar idea, isn't it? Yeah. Like sensory deprivation leading to truth. Right.
2: Okay, cool, man.
1: How do people find you on the
2: interwebs if they want to find you? Go to uh, andyversteino.com and as links to my YouTube channel, my Twitter, my Tumblr, my Instagram. Yeah, I get stuff all over the place.
1: Anything new in terms of the works that you want to talk about, or uh, we're well, still in been, top I secret? I have
2: not been doing much of my own stuff. But Mm. I have been working on a show that's going to come out next year. And I think Comic-Con has just happened or is it happening next week? I don't know. And there should be some big announcements about the show at Comic-Con.
1: And can you say
2: the name? Yeah, it's called Crapopolis with a K. And
1: it's a Dan Harmon show on Fox?
2: It's a Dan Harmon show on Fox. Yeah, Comic-Con's in a few weeks. But I think they're like, so far, there's only been one image released the show i think there's going to be a panel with all the actors and dan Harmon, and then there's going to be a uh, lots of if you're in san diego you're going to be bombarded by crapopolis cool imagery yeah should be really cool
1: and it's greek god
2: related yeah it's greek god related
1: so another synchronicity sure. awesome man well congratulations on all that Thanks. and i'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about that in the near future Yeah, crapopolis And I happen to know there's a little Lebowski on the way. There is, there
2: is. The next time we talk, there will probably be a little Lebowski arrived. Holy shnikes. And of course, whenever you release this, it'll... By the time you release this episode, there'll probably be a little Lebowski.
1: Already throwing rocks. Throwing rocks tonight. Yeah. Wow, well, this is a fucking super momentous, dude.
2: Yeah. Are you excited? Yeah, I'm excited.
1: Are you freaking out?
2: Uh, I'm definitely anxious. I don't think I'm freaking out, but... Oh, good. Just kind of want to make sure I get everything done before the arrival.
1: Yeah, I was hoping that we could record the last one before it all happens, but I don't I'm not confident. not that's going to happen. Yeah. I'm not confident, but in a way, it might could be neat that it's ha- it would have happened. Sure. And then it will be a whole new man. Yeah.
2: Different yet the same.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Undeniably being Andy Restaino and all. But thanks, dude. Oh,
2: yeah. Thank you, man. It's good to talk.
1: I agree. Anytime. And I also extend that to you, the listeners, anytime. (laughs) I don't know. Call me anytime? No, don't call me. But um, drop me a line and uh, let me know what you think hamburgers of love means. And we'll all all figure it out together as we dive and dig on the back of the great bear riding down the stairs of the king's chamber. (laughs) in, in, in the Great Pyramid to speak with Osiris, the horned god, the green man, the homeless king, and utter visions of truth and hamburgers together as we climb deeper
3: down under the silver
0: lake. Cha-cha.
1: Uh, Thank you. Uh, Goodbye. That's going to do it for episode 18 of the Post-Relevant Podcast. The King's Chamber, part one. Very special thank you to Brother Andy for... Another delightful conversation about Under the Silver Lake. Stay tuned. We've only got one more Brother Andy episode left, unless there'll be more. Hopefully there'll be more, right? The Final Decode is coming very, very soon. You can find out more about Brother Andy if you go to andyrestino.com. Special thanks to returning guest, Max Flackman, AKA Matt Kalman, for his insights and responses to the lies, the bloody lies, proliferated across the ether by Oliver Stone in the Doors movie. Hopefully there will be more Max Flackman coming up on the Post-Relevant Podcast in the future, we'll see. I would give social media information about Matt, but he doesn't have any, so no dice. Special thank you to Alan Tobin for co-writing the Post-Relevant Movement theme song. You're listening to it right now. You can hear that song and all the rest of the tunes from our album, Boduved, if you look up Agents of Venus on Bandcamp. If you'd like to see my art, acting, music, and much more, please go to my website, theseardreams.com. And if you'd like to contact me, you can reach me at Phil Restino on Facebook, and Instagram and you can find me I think my handle is PostRelevant70 on the Under the Silver Lake Reddit page and you can contact me there. Also please go to Instagram.com forward slash to see posters and art related to these episodes and lyrics for songs that were played on the PostRelevant podcast and videos and much more. The full 5D experience: Instagram.com/forward/slash/philrestino. If you'd like to support the Post Relevant podcast, please go to Patreon.com/forward/slash/Post Relevant. And remember, as the hamburger-shaped man says at the end of the Bugs Bunny cartoon, "Wakiki Rabbit."